0: scripture today comes from the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests, and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord, and Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers." And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel." And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. The people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The word of the Lord.
1: These few weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna be. Uh, we started last week. Uh, we're 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 seeking biblical guidance for looking beyond this pandemic. We're not beyond it, but as I said last week, we're beginning to see uh, appear before our eyes, uh, in a manner of speaking beyond this pandemic. And, and so we are praying about and thinking through what's, what's next. Uh, this is our first Sunday beyond total mask uniformity in, in I, w- I would say over a year, right? Yeah, so, so this is, a, this is a, a momentous achievement for, for our society, uh, for our region, but it's complicated. So what I've been doing in the spirit of trying to be all things to all people is is I've been keeping my mask on my chin. And depending on where I go, I'm like flipping it up and putting it like the bifocal thing, but but with a mask, just up and down, up and down, depending on who I'm talking to and like reading their body language. Are they nervous? Are they backing away from me? Do they not care? So I'm doing the mask bifocal thing. That's just me, not recommending that to you. But you know, it's a momentous achievement and yet, it's, it's complicated. Some people are rejoicing in thanksgiving, and some people are grieving because they're thinking of those who didn't make it through. They're thinking of loved ones or coworkers or friends who have not made it out of this pandemic, who didn't live to see a day in which the mask came off. You know, everyone handles crises and change differently. Even in, even in my own marriage, so I am the guy that falls apart during the trial. I, I, I moan and complain and stress as I'm dealing with, with, with an issue. And then when it's over, I'm kind of like ready to move forward. Becky just gets through it. She perseveres and then falls apart when it's over. And so we discover that quite often we're out of sync. And When I'm ready to move on and I've kind of gotten it all out and, I'm, and she's ready to, to stop, and, and so over, you know, we've been married now almost 23 years, we've, we've had to learn how to do that dance where, where we realize we're naturally, instinctively out of sync and we need to figure out how to, how to get through tragedies and, and struggles and changes together because we, we each respond differently to it. Maybe you've experienced that. As we get into Ezra chapter 3 today, I want you to see that we don't all have to feel the same way about what's happening in the world and in our own state. I would suggest to you it's actually dangerous to assume that we should all feel the same way about everything that's coming out in the news every week. The, um, the research institute based in the uh, northern Midwest, Springtide, Springtide Research Institute has been specializing in uh, analyzing the Gen Z culture. Did you aware there's a Gen Z? There's a Generation Z? Basically ages 13 to thirteen to 25, and that's interesting because if you're 13 years old, you were born right after the iPhone was invented and came out. So we're talking about digital natives here. They've never known, never known the world without one of these. Um, so, so Springtide focuses on research. They're a non-affiliated religious research organization. And what they're saying is that 50% of Gen Z tell us that they will feel pressure to move on when the pandemic is over, but they won't feel ready. And they go on to say, according to their research, and this is like as of a month ago, this is, so this is new data, they're saying young people from the ages of 13 to 25 years old feel... Uncomfortable, they don't feel safe in many common environments like going to work, shopping, being in public in general, being in medical facilities, eating out in restaurants, and even going to church. As a matter of fact, 18% of of young people do not, uh, only 18% of young people feel safe in a church environment. That's second only to eating in restaurants. All right, so we've at least got that beat. They feel safer in church than going to Applebee's, at least right now. Um, if we don't recognize the concerns around us, especially the concerns of the next generation, we may be missing out on an opportunity. So why are we looking at Ezra chapter 3 today? We're actually going further back in time. Last week, we looked at the book of Nehemiah, the 5th century BC. We're going back to, to a previous century during the time of, of Ezra the priest. Ezra led the, third, uh, the second wave of exiles from Persia and Babylon back to Judah and Jerusalem. But even before Ezra's arrival, there was a first wave in 538 BC after the emperor of, of, um, of Persia, Cyrus, announced okay, the Jews can begin to go back and They can start by rebuilding their temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar uh, decades before. So the first wave comes back in 538 B.C., and then within two years, uh, they begin rebuilding the temple. Uh, The Temple of Solomon, the famous first temple, was destroyed by the Babylonians. So now the Jews return, and in 536 B.C., they begin rebuilding the temple. They lay the foundations of a new temple, and it took them about 20 years. Uh, Because of stops and starts and local politics, uh, threats, obstacles, it took him about 20 years to complete this new temple. It was completed in 516 BC, probably just after the life of Daniel the prophet who stayed in, in Persia and in Babylon. So the first wave of exiles, they come back, they, they construct this temple. But at the beginning of the process, when the foundation was laid, they celebrated this new beginning. But it's interesting to note in the passage that Cynthia just read, at the moment when they worshiped and celebrated this momentous event, uh, we discover that they're, they're praising and worshiping because it was so loud that it could be heard from far away. We notice that the praise and worship was not a symphony. It was more like a cacophony. Because if you look at verse 13, it says that some people were rejoicing with great shouts and some people were wailing in sadness so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. And I want to rest on that today. And I want us to consider that. Today in 2021, it is appropriate and good to rejoice for all that we've come through, it is also appropriate and good to grieve. And to be a healthy church, and I'm telling you to be a healthy person, we've got to live in that tension and be okay with it, and be patient with one another, and encourage one another. In the family of God, uh, or to use the expression, in God's house, there is room for those who weep, and there's room for those who rejoice. And as I talk about this, I want to talk about how people react to crises and change and how, how we should respond to people's reactions and how to find unity in all of that. The diversity of reactions and then the, subs- the subsequent needed diversity of responses to a myriad of reactions and then finally, how to find a purpose together that brings unity amongst people who react to things differently. That's what we're going to do. Diversity of reactions, diversity of responses, and then finally, finding a unity of purpose in all of it. Now, a diversity of reaction to change and to tragedy is something that we must accept. It is how humanity works. The building of that new temple, it meant different things to different people, didn't it? This momentous occasion, if you read this passage, it was intentionally, uh, the people intentionally replicated the building and the ceremonies surrounding the dedication of the original temple overseen by Solomon, prepared for by King David, the great King David, and then his son Solomon, uh, he was was the one that oversaw the work. And in 959 BC, that temple, that original temple in in all its glory was was dedicated by Solomon and if you read in 1 Kings chapter 6 you discover that that original temple's construction also began in the second month of the year like this one you also if you read 2 Chronicles chapter 5 you'll see that the people got together and according to the rituals of king david they all sang some of the same songs after david's liturgy actually look at verse 11 they sang almost word for word the song you see in the dedication of the original temple of solomon they sang responsively that must must have been neat to hear that antiphonal singing back and forth leader and the people and they sang for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever towards israel So that replication, that purposeful flashback from 400 centuries before, replicating some of those events, that meant that they were putting a lot of meaning into what was taking place. Uh, They were seeing, they were drawing comparisons between the old temple and the new temple. They were applying a ton of meaning and significance to what was taking place. But look at the two general reactions to that long-anticipated symbolic restart. Verse 13, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, those who were kids and teenagers taken into exile like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, Now, Daniel stayed in Persia, as far as we can tell. But people his age, now old people, returned with the first wave of exiles and were part of this new temple's rededication. And it says that they looked at the new foundation and they wept with a loud voice. They saw the foundation of this house being laid, although many had shouted with joy. So so imagine those present my age and younger who were born in exile, they only heard stories, legendary accounts of the glory of the old days where their parents and grandparents lived, never having seen that, you know, and, and imagine them now back in the homeland, the land of their ancestors, and now they see the stories of the past coming to life right before. It's like, so I grew up in New York, and in the 80s, the New York Yankees stunk. And, but I always heard about the glory days, and I wasn't living through them. It was horrible, kind of like, well, never mind, uh, never mind. So, so um, and then we got to the 90s, and they started winning again, and I was like, wow, so this is what it was like to live here decades ago. And now you have these, you have these Israelites hearing about the stories of the past, and they're seeing them come to life again. We have our place back. We have our temple back. It was like life was starting again, a new identity. But the old folks, the folks who remembered what it was like originally, they wailed for what had been lost forever. And seeing this new construction, it brought it all back to them. And they wept in sorrow. Uh, we, over the years, have traveled back to New York to visit loved ones as a family, and as we drive uh, through New York City or past New York City to visit relatives, it's, it's very impressive to drive past the Manhattan skyline because it's quite striking. And, and you know, my kids look at the Freedom Tower in Lower Manhattan, and it just, it's just so prominent in Lower Manhattan, that Freedom Tower sticking out uh, in all of its splendor and glory. It's quite impressive when they look at something like that. But when I see that skyline, I remember what was, it, what is no longer there, right? I, I remember before it. So, so there's something to look at which is impressive and, 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 and glorious, but, but my mind goes back to something that makes me very sad. You know, on a day when people went to work and never came home, where some people uh, got out alive or were there to help, but their lives changed forever and they've never been the same since, almost 20 years ago. That's really the dynamic that's taking place here as we read Ezra chapter three. Corporate tragedy and the ensuing changes from it are complicated, right? Tragedies and change, they, they, they leave a complex array of reactions in people from different generations, people from different ethnic and racial backgrounds, from different communities, from different life experiences and personalities and temperaments. We all go through the same stuff differently and we come out of the same stuff differently and that's okay, but that is something that you have to accept as a reality of the human experience. And I think it's something that we need to anticipate. I think it's proactively healthy to anticipate the fact that people have different reactions to things. And I think if we can anticipate that, it'll help us move beyond COVID in a productive way as a community. So how do we move move forward while some people wanna sprint ahead And some people still feel like they are paralyzed. Now, the diversity of reactions requires a diversity of responses. Okay? What did the Apostle Paul write to the church in Rome when he told them in the 12th chapter of Romans, this is how Christians, how Christ followers ought to live in this world and with one another. He said, amongst many things, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. He's saying these two emotions and reactions are not mutually exclusive. They're often happening in the same family, in the same community, on the same team at work. They may even be happening, as our sister Laura said, in the same person at the same time. I've lived through that. So you may regard other people's hesitancy right now as an obstacle to your plans and your motivation and your agenda, or you may regard other people's earnestness. I'm sorry, eagerness. Yeah, earnestness, that works too. You may look at other people's eagerness right now as a threat to your personal safety and comfort. Rather... Rather than seeing other people's eagerness or other people's hesitation as obstacles or threats, the Christian sees opportunity. Opportunity, right? Maybe there are conflicting values or conflicting motivations, but, but the Christian sees that as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to listen to one another so that we can understand one another And only after understanding will we find better solutions to rebuild based on knowledge. Not just based on emotion, not just based on opinion, not just based on the news and data and science, but actually based on more than just that type of knowledge. Knowledge comes not only from analyzing the data, which we should do. Knowledge comes from storytelling. We gather the facts, we analyze the data, we read the news, and... We listen to one another. We listen to one another. The teacher in Proverbs 24 said, by wisdom, a house is built. We have to think about that in the 21st century, in a scientific age. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. Let me suggest that by wisdom and understanding, a house is rebuilt also. A system is rebuilt, a relationship is is rebuilt by wisdom and understanding. So we have to rejoice with some people and we have to weep with others as the needs require, especially leaders, especially educators, especially you who are in a position of influence wherever you live, wherever you work. And parents know, look, the same approach doesn't work for every kid, right? Okay, so, be, so beyond having one kid, and that's great, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I have a few extra. What you discover is that um, not, every, not the same approach doesn't work for every child who's, who's individually unique. So, all right, you prepare dinner, yes, everyone eats the same meal, or had better. But how do you discipline each child? How do you counsel each child? Each requires a nuanced approach depending on their personality. You know this, if you have several children, the one size fits all is eventually gonna break down for you. Of course it will. So, each situation requires a nuanced approach in response, and so will the coming weeks and months. Diversity in our responses to one another, especially if you're in a position of influence or leadership. I think when we demand too much in wanting others to feel and respond as we do, that we get in trouble. We demand too much in wanting other people to feel and respond or react, I should say, as we do. I think there's a pitfall in looking too individualistically at everything that's happening. And I think there's a pitfall in just looking systematically at everything. Um, We need both of those dynamics, but but we shouldn't be too focused on an individualistic way of looking at everything without an eye on the broader situation. Or uh, if we just look systemically at what's happening in the world and society, if we just look at the data um, without without distinguishing the nuanced perspective of every person's life and personality and situation and needs, then uh, we're not going to see clearly because we'll have lacked the kind of judgment and understanding that the Proverbs talk about that's needed to rebuild and restore. You know, uh, Old Testament scholars say that more than just the foundation of a temple was being laid in 536 B.C. by the Jews who had returned from exile. They were also rebuilding a culture and a society, the ground, everything you see in the Gospels. So 500 years later, the life of Christ in Judea, Everything you see, the way people responded to Jesus, those who were for him, those who were were against him, the culture of first century Jerusalem in the Roman Empire, it was all being set by the Jews who laid the foundation to this temple. Everything else, they were starting all over again. Okay, so what was being poured into the foundation of that culture had long-term impact on the world. And you see it as you read the Gospels. It all started with the rebuilding of that temple. So what's being poured into the foundation of the world our children and grandchildren were living? It's being poured right now. We're all living on the foundation that was poured after World War II. What's being poured into the foundation of the rest of the 21st century? Are you not pouring into it your selfishness? and pride are you not pouring into that foundation your fear and cynicism all sorts of stuff gets poured in with that cement and then it's there so let's think about what we're rebuilding and how we're rebuilding it because it says by Solomon interestingly enough In Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We demand too much in wanting everybody else to feel and react the same way that we do. Now, no matter what the types, the different types of reactions that we're all witnessing in one another, despite the different types of diverse responses that may be required in each situation, we do need unity. We need a purpose to gather around. And I think that purpose is keeping our eyes on Jesus. That sounds simplistic, but just stay with me for a minute. The author of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament said this, really near the end of of the letter. He said, therefore, right, in light of everything I've said about this Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. How? He said, by looking at Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's that's where the foundation comes from. Looking at Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the one who has all the authority, we keep our eyes on him, we endure we, notice it says, not you, it says, we endure by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Whether you're celebrating today or whether you're grieving today, whether you feel like sprinting forward or whether you still feel like you're paralyzed, eyes on Jesus. That's where we start. That's, that's, that's the purpose. Eyes on, that's, what, that's the purpose that unites us. everyone. Eyes on Jesus. Whether you're still or moving forward, uh, eyes on Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, that's not a purpose. Come on, I've been to business school. That's not an achievable goal. That's not a quantifiable goal. Yeah, okay, really? Think of it differently. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16 to Peter? I will build my church. He didn't say to Peter, y'all are gonna build my church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the one, to use an expression from last Sunday, Jesus is the one who rebuilds and restores. We're not doing it. We're participating in his rebuilding and restoration process. We watch him. He's the architect. He's the project manager. And that's what unites workers who are eager with workers who uh, are hesitant. That's what brings us all together is, is there's a project manager. And he's laying the foundation. And he's the one that says he will build his church. So there's room on the crew for joy and sorrow because we're all looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And there's room for joy and sorrow on his crew because Jesus mourns with us and he rejoices with us. There's a diversity of responses in Jesus himself. Read the Gospels. Are you not a Christian yet? Are you trying to understand who this Jesus is? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the Gospel of Luke where Jesus rejoices with the tax collector Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus comes to faith. Read the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus directly and powerfully rebukes Peter, one of his closest disciples, for the way Peter was thinking and acting. Read the Gospel of John when Jesus Wept alongside of Mary and Martha at the tomb of their dead brother Lazarus. This Jesus, whom we see in Hebrews 12, what? Jesus, for the joy of the, for the joy of what was set before him, endured the cross. You see that joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive because they're there in Jesus Himself. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, who for the joy of being reunited with you for the joy of building a new humanity and a new creation with you endured the sorrow and humiliation of a Roman cross. Right there, joy and sorrow are in Jesus' mission himself. So Christians are called to be Christ-like through this pandemic restoration process. Being Christ-like means you respond to the person as their need directs. You're focused on the mission, but your response varies depending upon the need. For the joy of watching Jesus rebuild and restore what's been lost, some of you need to be patient and kind to those who are afraid. And for the joy of watching Jesus rebuild and restore, some of you need to help, let others help you regain your courage. It's okay to be worried and still, but not forever. Let people surround you to encourage you. So some of us, like Jesus, need to be patient and kind. And some of us, like Jesus, need to let other people surround us and be a part of what we're doing. Because in God's family, there is room for those who weep and there is room for those who rejoice. This is not a one-size-fits-all way of dealing with a complex period of human history. So, rejoice with some, weep with others, but pursue unity, keeping our eyes on Jesus through it all. Jesus responds to all of our needs as required, and let's take his approach as we move forward, all right? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, are, uh, we rejoice. We rejoice because you are doing new things. We rejoice. And we grieve because we've lost a lot. And Father, we don't don't want to be uh, so arrogant or ignorant or obtuse that we don't see the perspectives of the people around us. Father, we need courage and we need patience. And help us to balance those things well as people, as families, as, as co-workers and neighbors. Help us to keep that redemptive balance as brothers and sisters in Christ, we praise you for him. We thank you for the nuanced way he dealt with complex situations, and thank you for the nuanced way he reached out and impacted each of us. May we do the same in his name. Amen.